Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Gabby. And I'm Emma. And we're both card-carrying members of the Infertility Club. slightly different location today oh tell us more i'm in my living room rather than spare bedroom mate so am i mate i think you can probably hear cars going past and you can probably hear that it's a bit echoey and you can probably hear my neighbors having an argument but that you know it's it's audio mise-en-scene exactly we all want to hear your uh your neighbors have an argument i'm up for it my neighbors argue a lot do they they do anyway enough about her Let's talk about us Indeed. for a minute. Indeed, let's. How are you, mate? Um, I'm absolutely fine. I have had quite a dramatic week when it comes to work. Oh, yeah. Basically, because I'm not back at work yet, but I've just... Like, I can't really talk about it too much, but um, I've just had to do a lot of negotiating. Mm. It's been quite stressful, to be honest. Yeah, um, you're kind of going to be going back to work soon? Yes, sometime between July and August we'll be going mm-hmm. back to work. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, and it's weird because, you know, it's coming just as lockdown is beginning to ease and it feels like we're coming out of this lovely bubble mm-hmm. and we're going to have to go back to real life and I don't want to go back to real life, Gabs. I love this. I love my bubble. Yes, we're poor. No, we have no money coming in. But, you know, we it's just been so nice to just spend time and just be chilled and yeah well you and your husband have both been off right kind of essentially um which is not great but also great (laughs) well yeah I mean yeah so we've got no money coming in we've been living off my maternity leave savings which is lucky that I'm a saver um but it's just it's just been so nice to just slow down Mm. I feel Mm. a bit anxious about having to like see other people (laughs) (laughs) like I feel a bit stressed at the idea yeah well you've been living by the seaside and it's just been quite idyllic yeah Yeah. so we're gonna pack up all our stuff in the next couple of weeks and go back to London you can't stay in Margate forever Mm, not at the moment just because of John's work yeah okay is work happening again 
not yet <laughs> but i think we just we just need to get back to real life really yeah 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 mr gabby's um work is threatening redundancies again oh, um fuck. second time so he escaped the first cut and now yeah. we're a bit like oh god squeaky oh, bum time shit. second second round of cuts what's gonna happen and i'll tell you what's gonna happen emma if he gets made redundant, we're all going to Ireland to live with my mum. Oh, mate. <laughs> yeah. We thought about it the other day. We're like, what are we going to do? Like, how how can we, you know, how can we look after ourselves? And yeah. basically, yeah, that's the, I'm just going to go and live with my mum, which is... Well, she's got actually, a lovely house. She does have a lovely house. Yeah, we're lucky in that respect. Um So, yeah, that's kind of our worst case scenario plan, which we've that been would talking be about absolutely- this week awful it would be awful but also i guess not that bad the 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 only thing that that makes me anxious about it is storage got a house here well a flat here full of stuff um the storage is going to be a nightmare the only reason i say it's awful is because i wouldn't get to see you it would be awful in that respect but then no different than it is now right yeah yeah i know but it's been awful yeah we need it to be over yeah, we do. We sure we do. We have been hearing loads and loads of reports of people who are being charged for coronavirus tests from their clinics. Oh my God. Basically, some clinics say that it's completely mandatory and no test, no treatment. Shit. Yeah. Some people say, don't don't worry about it. Some clinics are saying that you have to pay absolutely loads. Some people are doing it for not very much. That sounds like absolute bullshit. Yeah, so I got onto the HFEA this week. Good woman, good woman. Yeah, I mean, as I want to do. They're expecting your calls now. The HFEA is the regulator for IVF clinics. They are in charge of what IVF clinics do. She says that they have not stated that clinics must test patients for COVID-19 prior to treatment although she does expect them to follow the guidance from the British Facility Society, which covers what clinics should do about screening patients before and during treatment and advises them to follow local and national guidelines and consider implementing a testing policy. Some clinics may choose to include testing for COVID-19 as part of their treatment strategy for all patients having treatment, including patients who are asymptomatic. Any tests that have been performed via the government-approved route are valid. Okay. So, so that's a green light to charge people through the nose for tests. If your clinic is charging you, like one of the clinics I've heard, £400 for a package of three tests, that oh is a lot God. of money to be added to your treatment. Considering the HFEA and the NHS both state that you essentially it's only worth testing people if they are showing symptoms of coronavirus. Right. It may be worth if you are being charged £400 for a package of three tests, looking at the NHS guidance, which we can link to, Mm -hmm. and speaking again to your clinic to see if that test is really as necessary as they think it is. I just wanted to make everybody aware that not all clinics are testing. Not all clinics are charging £400 for three tests. Mm -hmm. Not all clinics are making it mandatory. Some clinics are. Some clinics are offering tests. Some clinics are offering antibody tests. If you think it is unfair, if you think the amount you're being charged is ridiculous, speak to them. Yeah, 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 definitely. Meanwhile, um, 
I'm just I'm quite shocked at the amount that's being charged. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose just being armed with the, the information that not all clinics are doing the same, because I think if you mm-hmm. felt like that was just the way it is, then you'd go along with it. But no, it's not. So it's not agitate, agitate, agitate. agitate. I know like some people are going to think, well, you know, I'm so close to my frozen embryo transfer. It's taken me so long to get to this point. I'm just going to suck yeah. up the extra 400 quid. Yeah. In which case, fine. Like that's absolutely understandable. But if you're at the beginning of your treatment or if you are really fucking pissed off about it there is no reason you can't speak to them again and you know if they say well we're not treating you then then maybe you just suck it up but yeah just speak to them first yeah definitely yeah um anyway shall we get on to today's episode today's episode we are talking about secondary infertility yeah so we um interviewed the lovely alison perry who yes. is the founder of not another mummy um blog and podcast uh-huh. she struggled to conceive when she decided to have her second child and yeah. and so we had quite a good conversation about that yeah and she was absolutely lovely it was another lockdown classic interview indeed um yet another one but they're working out all right um but yeah Alison's great and very honest about her experiences of secondary fertility and so yeah it was good to have her on it was a lovely chat so we got Liz and Nick as per they're looking a little bit further into egg donation exciting yeah it is quite exciting I feel like I'm really enjoying listening to them kind of discovering the world of egg donation and adoption yeah, absolutely. And their honeyed tones just make me so oh. happy. Um, Liz is currently reading Goodnight Mr. Tom on she is. Instagram every yeah. night. And I'm just like, it's quite delightful. And uh, Professor Tim is talking about coconut water. Uh, put the lime in the coconut and drink them both together. Um, yeah, um, coconut water and can it cure OHSS? Yeah, I remember um, panicking and running to the shop and buying things and things and things of coconut water. And um, I literally drank the final one yesterday. Really? Yeah. Um, Mr. Gabby was cleaning out the fridge and he was like, are you ever going to drink this coconut water? And I was like, huh, yes, I am right now. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it keeps, guys. It keeps because that was well over a year ago now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, in unrelated but not and probably not as important news um emma and i are going to be appearing on another podcast um Mm. more about it all in good time however um we're going to be talking about sex baby and yeah and um basically we were just wondering if people would like to anonymously let us know their experience of the kind of changes to sex and intimacy that you know or you know a range of things so like ttc ivf miscarriage you know how how are these things impacting their sex lives yeah and you know because i have an experience of my own you know ttc and ivf i don't know what's you know, I don't know what the experience is after a miscarriage. So I think we're just kind of looking for as many people's opinions as possible if they if they want to share them with us completely anonymously. Yes, absolutely. So if you do, um, just shoot us an email. Yeah. Um, and I may as well go into that now. So the email is bigfatnegativepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can do it on Instagram. 
at Big Fat Negative or Facebook. Big Fat Negative. Or Twitter. At Big Fat Negative. And we would also love you to like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. And we'd yeah. like, would like you to rate and review it because we've had some very, very lovely reviews recently. Oh, guys, you're too kind. Enjoy the show. Strange. It is. Lockdown. Downtown. I was going to say, you couldn't say anything because uh, people can't, can't see you. <laughs> can't see me gesture. <laughs> Gesturing. Anyway, back to hot, back to topic. So tell me, what are you talking about? What am I talking about? Yeah. What, talking to you about? Yeah. Right. Well, um, I was a little bit curious about... Um, the whole donor egg process and kind of how we get matched. Obviously, we had a bit of a an experience of the of the website um, where we just had a bit of a browse, shopping, shopping. But I wanted to know a little bit more about you know how they recommend you being matched. How does it work? So I spoke to. Um, the lady from the London Egg Bank, and she basically said that they offer some sort of matching service. If we want, to get more like internet dating, isn't it though? Um, which you know suits us because that's what we did in the first place. Yeah. Do what you know. But I just, yeah, I does it feel a bit weird to you? Or being matched? Yeah, like to just give someone a load of criteria and just. It's probably easy that way. I think if we do, we'll probably overthink it. Do you reckon? Yeah. Well, we have established that I am quite the overthinker in this. Yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to know a bit more about the London Egg Bank. So I um, had a chat with her and I asked her to like send me some statistics. Um, and she sort of sent me some info. So I thought I'd... Because I haven't actually shared this with you. So Ooh, this is... Exciting. This is live stuff. Um, so obviously we were looking at like, if you go with the London Egg Bank, then, um, all the eggs are frozen. Um, and we have like chatted to somebody who is doing a fresh transfer, um, which we'll talk a little bit about in a minute. But, um, so first of all, I think she was saying the first hurdle we've got to overcome is for the eggs to unfreeze or thaw. Thor. If you think about the correct term. Like the superhero. Like the superhero. So um, the survival rate for thawing eggs, and I was a little bit confused because I'm sure I read somewhere about women who freeze their eggs to preserve their fertility. Yeah. Like they tend to lose quite a few of them in the thaw. I thought it was around 95% chance of... Success. This is what they're saying. So there's a ninety six percent chance oh, of success close. that they will thaw with no issue. Um, but I was a bit confused as to if there's so many women who tend to like lose their eggs having thawed them, if they've looked to freeze them for like preservation of fertility, what's the difference with these guys? Where have you got this information from? Which which information? That uh, women lose a load of eggs. 
I don't know. Probably Instagram. <laughs> I'm, uh, probably Instagram. I'm, uh, <laughs> you're going to have to reference using the Harvard method for me for this. <laughs> I mean, it might have been. Before I put any credence into it. <laughs> it might have been a previous episode of BFM, to be fair. Well, that's fine, as long as you can reference it. Okay, maybe I'll come back to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll add it in later. <laughs> By the way, this is my source. So that was the sort of first hurdle that needs to be overcome. Obviously, bearing in mind this is post-matching. Right. Um, and the other thing that she was basically saying was that if um, we get matched, we have to use the eggs within four months. Yep. So, given the sort of circumstances that we're currently in, i.e. on lockdown, we don't know what's going to happen in four months' time. So, I did ask her um, about what happens in this particular set of circumstances, um, you know, with obviously all the, the pandemic and everything. And she was like, oh, no, we're extended that, so you don't need to worry too much. So, I was like, okay, well, it kind of doesn't give me the respite I thought that I could have before making a decision well we probably should give it a little bit of time it's easier to um when this all blows over well yeah I still think that there's a lot to consider before we decide what we're yeah. going to do to be fair um because I would take it adoption is a bit at a standstill at the moment as well. Yeah, I think so. So the process. I, again, I think from what I've seen from other people who are going through it at the moment on on Insta, um, things are a bit. Because they're not going to be doing any of those courses. Yeah, yeah. So it's still fine, I think. So well, it well, it allows us a, a little bit of a breathing room, I think. Yeah, because part of me feels like, have we had enough breathing room? But then I'm like, no. No. <laughs> no. I've just got Disney Plus. I want to watch that for a while. That's true, actually. You do need to complete that before we can consider anything. Exactly. Making any decisions. Clone Wars isn't going to watch itself. Clone Wars? That's like the worst one. What? The Clone Wars. The yeah. film. No, it's a TV series. Oh, Sorry. You're thinking Attack of the Clones. That's that's the one. That was not great. Sorry, any Clone Wars fans out there. Uh, right, so going back to actual facts of what we're supposed to be talking about. Um, Fertilisation rates, for them, is 80% success. Now, I did have a look to see how many... Um, uh, what's, the, what's the thing? Like, how many samples this... Um, these statistics came from so that how many women um, it does not say so I'm kind of taking this a little bit with a pinch of salt sure and also if we do go down this route then we've been shat on from a great height before so we have indeed I'm taking nothing for granted nope <laughs> um, and then so they've had 165 live births from donut from frozen donut eggs. Again, I don't know in what like how does that how, yeah where does length that of time is this? Is you need some context of that number <laughs> of like ten years or what? Is that um, our five thousands? <laughs> I don't know. This is what I'm trying to say. They've got, oh. I've got no context. What is this site you're looking at? This is the London Egg Bank. 
that's a little bit more credible, but they should still add some contact. Well, I mean, even when you have those olive ole adverts, yeah. and they put like ninety-seven percent from well, ninety-nine four people. women. <laughs> I mean, I give them a little bit more credit, but yeah, it's pretty much that. So we've got no context here, um, and then we've got weirdly. It's fresh donut eggs, 53% success, which, as far as I know, they don't offer. Um, but frozen donut eggs is a 50% chance of success. Again, we don't... How does that percentage come? <laughs> How do they know it's 3% more successful? And Yeah, we don't know if it's like the same amount of women, the same length of time. So, yeah, I mean, as much as I ask for statistics, they give us very little. Yeah. Um, so... Obviously, that is one of the options of trying to find a donor, if that's what we decide to do. Um, one of the other options, I didn't even, I didn't even know this was a thing. Um, obviously, beyond a known, so obviously there's a, there's an option to find a known donor, which was what was it the NHS suggested? Or that you bring your own donor? Yeah. Yeah. Just. Yeah, find one. Yep. Um, and obviously suggested like a family member or similar, which is not an option for us. Um, so the alternative is to find a known donor yourself. And we actually met up with some friends of ours um, from The Gram, Jen and Gareth. Jen is IVF Pineapple, you might... Some of you might know who she is. And I have chatted to Jen, so she's looking at me like I'm about to reveal big secrets <laughs> here. I have spoken to Jen, and she is happy for me to chat, us to chat about this. Um, but they found their donor on Facebook, and I did not even know this was a thing. Nor I. Like, would, what do you think about something like that Is that like, that like the Facebook us? marketplace, or is that... <laughs> don't think you can put an advert on Facebook Marketplace, no. Mm. I think there is a specific location on Facebook, and like a group, where you can, you know, ask somebody if they know how you would come across a donor, a potential donor. Um, and obviously, Jen was really candid about why that was an option for them. Um, I think, and I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying this, but the main reason is that she was just nosy and just really wants to know everything about them. How do you how do you feel about doing something like that for us? Do you think it's something that we should consider? Do you think we, we should explore it? Oh, we can always explore it. Um, uh, I don't know if you want to keep one step apart from someone who's donating an egg just to have that level of um, distance between you. Yeah. I wouldn't know, would you want them involved in our lives? I, I don't know. And I think it's quite, it's a bit different, well, I'd say a bit different for them, definitely, than having a, a known donor who's an active participant in your life currently. I mean, that could be really positive in the long run. There's no reason why it couldn't be positive, but... Yeah, and the only reason I'm saying it is because in terms of distance, they live very, yes. very far apart from their donor. Yes. So the donor is not going to be popping around for a cup yeah. of tea on the reg. Whereas it's a bit different if you have a known donor who is a part of your life, i.e. a sibling yeah. or a cousin. 
No, I don't think I'd like that. Who probably is going to be Personal. popping around for a yeah. property. So I guess it's like, it's good because it's not fully anonymised and that you know that person. But it also, like it sounds really weird to say, I guess, but it makes it a lot more real that you're using a donor. Does that even, I don't even know if I'm making sense right now. We'll Nick's, let you be the judge of that. <laughs> Nick's shrugging at me for the, for the record. Um, like, I don't know. It, not that you would want to pretend that you're not having a donor, but at least it's not in your face if you're using like something like an egg bank where the eggs are transported to the clinic, they're inseminated at the clinic and then they're just put back in you. Whereas if you've got a person who is going to appointments and updating you as they go along, does that, is that too real? I don't even know if I'm, I'm, I know, I know with the look on your face I'm not making any sense (laughs) at all. (laughs) I'm quite slow, but. No, No, I know, I know what you're saying. It's, because we always talk about how we want the process to be as normal as possible, if that's what we do. And so it seems less normal if yeah. someone else is getting in contact with you and getting involved. I don't know. I don't know. But then, weirdly, so um, obviously the other option is to go abroad, mm. where in some some instances it's completely anonymous. So, effectively, if we wanted to, we wouldn't have to tell the child that they were donor conceived yeah we've sort of talked about that and we don't think that's a really positive step either no no but if we really wanted this normal in inverted commas life i think it's normal in the sense that we know that it can't be completely normal yeah so we've got to accept that but it's just sort of limiting trying yeah. to limit that and i think we've sort of you or you've said yourself that you um could create identity issues for a child if they don't have the option. Yeah. I mean, it's weird, isn't it? Because, like, why isn't it more normal to have a donor? And I don't know if we've... I've actually, like, voiced my thoughts on this on the podcast before. Um, But, like, we go and give blood. Like, we give Mm. blood every, what is it, four months or whatever... And when you last die, last week's was cancelled. Last week's was cancelled. Um, you you know you you can give your um, organs when you die. You can donate your liver or whatever. Can you donate your liver when you're still alive? You can donate part of your liver. There you go. So yeah. So why? Because <laughs> you donate your whole liver. <laughs> Just call me Doctor Fox. <laughs> So why is it that this thing, this element of donation is considered so, like, out-of-the-box thinking? I don't know. I don't know. I I think it's normally because there's nothing... You're not unhealthy, you're not ill. It depends on who you speak to. 
Mm. Because, you know, like some people refer to fertility as a condition, don't they? Yeah. Infertility, sorry, as a condition. Because it's an inability to do something. Medical. Yeah. I think it's the I think the whole idea of IVF is not normal because mm. you're not having a child someone else is helping you to have a child yeah I suppose they're saying that the donation is just that one little extra bit of help another little bit of extra help yeah but at that stage what does it matter anymore if you get if you need help you need help so in for a penny yeah exactly <laughs> if you need it yeah if it wasn't for IVF we wouldn't be able to have kids either it, yeah it if wouldn't. it was our own stuff or anyone else's so Either way, it's a bit different. Yeah, I guess. And it's like just one more step, isn't it, along yeah. the road of like assisted conception. And I think if you're in the situation where you aren't, you aren't infertile, it must seem a bit abnormal. Well, not abnormal, but a bit different to have a child that is some way not quite 100% biologically yours. Because you've so. never had to make that decision. You you never have to make that decision. Yeah, so I suppose it's not like... You just wouldn't ever think of it yeah. if it hadn't come into your world. Yeah. So it's not something that you've... I just realised not infertile is very bad English. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> if you're I fertile. Focused, <laughs> I was focused on the content of what you were saying. <laughs> oh, you were hammering home the point. So I think from the sort of discussions that we've had, if we were to look at a donor, probably I think for us, we would consider doing something with the London Egg Bank um, and maybe find out a little bit more about their statistics. So in an ideal world, obviously, what would be your kind of key characteristics for a donor? <laughs> looks vaguely similar to us. What, you as well? Why not? <laughs> Green and or blue eyes. Yeah. Brown hair. Because, <laughs> you know, when we Actually, were... probably, let's try and get to look more like you. My jeans are already going <laughs> to be at a disadvantage with me. No. <laughs> You're tall. Thanks. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> that's, that's my one crowning achievement. <laughs> Could have said anything. What? No, no. You think tall. Thanks. Well, obviously, I think you're handsome. I married you. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Fox is very handsome. Oh, shucks. <laughs> right. Can and we tall. Get... <laughs> handsome and tall. So. Obviously, one of the things on the um, the website was things like degree, things like or sort of level of education, ethnicity, um, thing you know, religion, religious leanings. I don't think the child. I know the opinion the child doesn't come out of the womb with a religion attached to it. <laughs> no, but do you like? <laughs> my question was: Do you have any like? Thoughts on preferences of those things? I don't know. I'm always a bit reluctant with this because you wouldn't get to choose normally. No, but I think, it, you know, if you're looking at that person or that donor as a woman, obviously it's not a man, is it? 
as a substitute for me, because that's what they are effectively. Well, I guess we would look for someone that matches you. But in terms of like me, but would we look at things like, well, there are things I don't like about me. <laughs> so would we look no. at? <laughs> would we look saying? at other stuff? You know, would we look at somebody who is has the same level of education as me? Are we bothered about it? Are we not bothered about it? Are we bothered about them if they're particularly religious? Do you know? Is it something that we're? I know that the child isn't going to come out of the womb wielding some sort of religious implement, mm. but it, I guess it says a lot about the person who's donating to you, doesn't it? Like, one of the things that um, we discussed with Jen, which I hadn't even considered before, to be honest with you, was um, the fact that they had been matched previously with women who had never had their own children. Mm. And so I know that obviously they do a lot of matching in terms of or reviewing of the the woman who wants to donate to kind of make sure that this wouldn't impact on her fertility. Yeah, I'd never thought about that. Before. But I yeah, it was it was it was something that I just was unsure if I and this sounds horrible to say I was a bit unsure if that was something that bothered me. Mm. Whereas for Jen, it was quite a big. You know, something that really she wanted to make sure that they had had the opportunity to have their family, which I completely understand. Maybe it's I'm just being a bit selfish and she's very selfless. Probably. Oh, rude. <laughs> I've misinterpreted the question. So what I'm saying is something like that. You know, are there anything sort of key things that you would think, actually, that's a bit of a deal breaker for me? Stuff like hasn't had their own children before, or... I never... I don't know what you get with it if you did it through the London bank, because would you would you know? I think that in some context, some instances, they could sort of write a little letter to any future children. Um, so you can get to know a little bit more about them if they choose to. Disturb. Yeah, but as in, would you know that they've had children before? Or... Not necessarily. So I don't know if that decision would be available to you. Yeah. Yeah. Also, would it kind of, if you would it be okay if they hadn't had children, but then they never intended to have kids? They just thought, well, I'd like to give someone the chance to. Yeah. Like the lady that we listened to on the interview before. Hmm. Yeah. I guess so. I think this is classic me overthinking things, isn't it? Well, no, it's it's a. Uh, I I wouldn't if if you was were unhappy with having using the egg of someone who hadn't had children before. I think that's a fair enough thought. But in the same breath, it's someone's decision whether they want to donate the eggs they've got, and so they would understand the risks. So I think it's a valid question, yeah, and a, a valid thought process. And I guess the other thing that I hadn't massively considered before, which was something else that um, we discussed with um, with Jen and Gareth, was that actually they were matched with a couple of different people mm. or different women and decided that maybe they weren't right in certain contexts. Because I, I kind of just thought, well, do we just get matched and that's our lot? We kind of have to accept it because that's the best match for us. Mm you kind of forget that you've maybe got a little bit of a say in this as well. And I guess because we've got a bit of a say in it as well, obviously, 
how much weight or reliance do we put on just allowing them to match us and actually how much time do we spend going through the website and and actually identifying some women that we feel could be good for us and so actually the process may take a bit longer because we have to have a bit more of a think about it I don't know I kind of almost always I just kind of assumed that it would be a case of once we've decided if we're going to go for donor then we just make our decision and we crack on with it I hadn't I don't think I hadn't quite appreciated actually that it might take a little while obviously easier if someone did make the decision for you but then do you want that I don't know because you don't normally have this level of you don't normally think this much but if we do have the chance to think this much do we then like should we take advantage of it do you know what I mean mm. I mean you've got to because you've got to make decisions so you've got to have some criteria you've got to make some decisions because I mean basically I think I'm concluding that this is far more complicated than I thought indeed it is um, you have to. You might as well. Yeah. You, if you've got a list of people, you might as well. There's no point just going. First one, that do. Eeny meeny miny mo. Sorted. Wish we could. There's no reason why we can. But, but I, I think some people probably do, just get to a point where they're like, I just want to make a decision because I'm tired of this now. Let's just go for it, um, and just kind of go on that gut instinct. And I just don't know if I'm. I, don't, I never thought I'd have to make this decision, so it's really hard no. to try and figure out what exactly I'm going to... We're going to... How we're going to make this, this decision. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Indeed. A lot to think about. It is. Um, yeah, so on that very confused note, I feel mm. like we went around the houses a little bit there. Yeah. And hopefully, um, by the next time we speak about this, we'll have some criteria but I'm not sure that we will. No. So, um, yeah, I actually, when I met with Jen, um, she gave me a copy of Janet Rupnow's book, Three Makes Baby, which talks all about donor conception. Um, And I'm ploughing through at the moment, and um, you get to read it after me. I'm in the middle of something at the moment. Yeah? Yeah. Well, make time. Yeah. And on that happy note... (laughs) When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Alison, it's so great to have you on here. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. On our lovely Zoom meeting. Yeah, on this sunny day in lockdown. <laughs> um, the first thing we always ask our um, guests is to tell us about their infertility journey. So basically, um, back in 2009, my husband and I were like, hey, let's start a family, you know, as you do. And um, I came off the pill and uh, three months later, I was pregnant. Wow. Amazing. amazing. That's how it's meant to happen. Mm-hmm. I know. Like, Bingo. And also, so kind of going back even further, I have suffered from endometriosis and also polycystic ovary syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of all through my 20s, I've had health professionals, GP saying to me, you know, it's going to be really hard for you to conceive. So in the back of my mind, I always thought, okay, so as soon as I'm ready to have a baby, mm-hmm. we're going to kind of try because it's going to be a long old journey. Yeah. So when I got pregnant after three months, I was like, excellent, brilliant. They were so lying. Clearly, what was all the Everything's about? working down there. My ovaries are fine. Everything's, all the tubes are all good. Um, and so that pregnancy, it all went fine. And in 2010, I had my daughter, who is now nine. And um, trying to cut a very long story short, I had um, quite bad postnatal depression okay. when she was very little. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that was me thinking... I have always known I wanted more than one child, but I don't think I can go through this again. Mm. I don't think I'm strong enough to mm-hmm. experience this again. And so where does that leave me? And I had kind of maybe two or three years of turmoil, like inner, it sounds ridiculous, but like real inner turmoil where I'd be walking along the street, pushing her in the buggy, feeling like I wanted to cry because I just didn't know where to go with this in terms of, wanting a bigger family but not feeling mentally strong enough yeah and when my daughter was about three after many a conversation with my husband I'm sure he was probably like oh not this again um we were like okay come on we can do this let's it might not be the same you know you don't always get postnatal depression uh you know second time with subsequent uh babies um and I'd also kind of learned loads about my mental health and triggers and things that would help me and uh, so I felt like actually if it does happen again bring it on come on I'm going to go to the GP I'm going to get help I'll get antidepressants if I need it I'll get therapy Mm. let's just do this thinking that (laughs) it would be as simple as it was the first time but no 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 mother nature was like no Mm. Um, and it took us five years Mm, from that point to get pregnant again and so I was like, at that point, I was like, what's well, clearly the universe is getting me back for, you know, kind of all those kind of years of not being sure whether I wanted to have oh, a second no, child. No, no, don't. And I remember chatting to Izzy Judd, who has written a book about fertility and um, getting quite upset when I was talking to her about it and sort of saying to her, 
I really felt like it was payback that this was the world saying to me, only people who really want babies and who really deserve babies can have babies, which is clearly a crazy thing to think. But when I was in that kind of like place of turmoil and, Mm -hmm. you know, not not able to get pregnant, that's what my brain was telling me. Um... And so at that point, we had years of um, fertility treatment and two rounds of IVF. And the second round of IVF worked and ended up with twins. Wowzers. So, um, yeah, it was really hard. I, I I felt absolutely devastated when the first round of IVF didn't work because at the time... I really felt like, oh my goodness, what a huge thing to go through emotionally, physically, financially. You know, I'd invested a whole summer. We hadn't gone on holiday. You know, um, I hadn't really gone out much as you, you know, you you have to put so much on hold when you go through IVF. And I just felt so gutted. I was at my friend's 40th birthday party when I, I, I had bleeding and I thought, I just know this isn't that implantation bleeding that you hear about. I know this is my period starting. Yeah. And um, I was just absolutely devastated. And so when the second round, which we didn't even think we'd be able to afford to have a second round, we thought we had one shot at this Mm. and we spent our savings on this one round. And then a few months later, a family member, in fact, a couple of family members offered to give us money for it. Amazing. And which was just, you know, just so like touched by people's kindness. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were so fortunate that we could do a second round. And so really weirdly in my head, I thought, and, and I know that it sounds really bizarre to say this, especially when people are going through fertility treatments, um, you know, and they're, and they're perhaps listening to this, but I really felt like, oh, okay then. So we didn't waste a massive amount of money and time and effort because we had two rounds of IVF and we've got two babies out of it. So in my head, <laughs> mm. it felt like it was some element of fairness <laughs> out of this. Yeah. Out of this really unfair feeling situation. Yeah. I was like, okay, no, okay, that's fine. I feel like things have worked out. God. I mean, you went into trying for that second baby with so many emotions already because of the postnatal depression. And then when it, when it, didn't happen straight away like you mentioned there was this feeling of like it's my fault how did you Mm. get past that like how did you deal with those emotions because it must have been it must have been quite hard to go through it really was but weirdly it was also coupled with this feeling in the back of my head of slight relief to begin with so for the first so we were trying for you know a second a second baby Mm -hmm. for five years and for the first couple we weren't we weren't doing anything other than just trying to get pregnant because they do say don't they they say oh give it a couple of years and just relax go on a holiday exactly (laughs) um especially when you've been on the pill you need to have obviously time for all the hormones to get out of your system and for Mm -hmm. you know things to kind of settle down a bit and there was definitely part of in the back of my brain i was thinking slight relief in fact that's that's the thing I think that I forgot about this element. This is the thing that I spoke to Izzy Judd about. What I remember really clearly when my eldest was a baby and I was walking along, pushing her in the pram and in turmoil thinking, I don't know if I can do this again. 
I thought to myself, oh, it'll almost be easier if I can't have any more children. If I if I'm told that's it, you can't have any more, then the decision isn't mine anymore and that's just it. And so actually maybe that would be the best outcome. And that's why I had the feeling of guilt because I thought, oh my goodness, I yeah. totally put this on myself by even having that thought because clearly that is not in any kind of satisfactory outcome in any situation. Definitely not. That's the, um, I mean, the postnatal depression kind of talking, I guess. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it really was. It really was. Did you ever feel like, you know, going through infertility, you couldn't really complain very much because you already had one baby? Did you ever get that like sense of, well, other people are struggling more than me? It's like in the coronavirus, like other people yeah. are dying, so I can't complain about not being able to have a baby. I kind of feel like there's a lot of that in life in general. Mm. And it's something that, you know, everybody, I think everybody should be really aware of the privileges that they do have. Yeah. And so when I was trying for a second, of course, I was incredibly lucky to already have one baby. Mm-hmm. And there is, even if people don't, don't say it out loud, there would definitely be people thinking, well, at least you've got one. Yeah. And you know, it's like when people, you know, perhaps have lots of miscarriages and people say, well, at least, you know, you can get pregnant. Oh, the or, worst. The classic. You know, there's always, there's always yeah. something that you're like, oh, well, I should feel grateful for this. Yeah. But something that I kind of, um, especially kind of recently with the coronavirus and um, people feeling like they shouldn't feel like overwhelmed by what's happening to them or feel like they're struggling because they're really privileged to have a garden or mm-hmm. you know have a have you know be be able to go out for a walk every day or you know that kind of thing and something that I always try and remember is something that the psychotherapist Anna Martha said to me um, a few weeks ago which is remembering the power of and that um it's absolutely possible to feel overwhelmed by the coronavirus and feel absolutely grateful that you've got a garden or that you've got some outdoor space yeah it is absolutely possible to feel so grateful that you have got one healthy child and still feel totally heartbroken that you can't add to your family and I think that's something really important to remember that all feelings are valid and that you can feel seemingly conflicting emotions mm. at the same time definitely space for more, more than one feeling at a time yeah. yeah and so when you kind of realized that maybe you might have to go down the IVF route how did you feel about it were you like okay that's definitely what we're going to do or were you like okay well, that's that's a bit trickier maybe maybe we stop it, it kind of felt a bit surreal because it felt like oh but IVF is something that other people do mm-hmm. and you know that's not like oh wow okay this is actually quite serious then okay so it's not just a case of you know we tried things like Clomid and Tamoxifen um and that's all very straightforward that's just a case of on certain days of the month you take this pill Mm. um and so to kind of go into something like IVF and because I had a, a child we weren't entitled to any kind of NHS you know, uh, funding or yeah, it was all completely. It was just. I, in fact, I remember. Um, so the fertility treatment that we had um, before IVF was through the NHS. So um, I remember quite clearly sitting in the hospital, 
consultation room with the consultant and him basically being like right so off you go then like nothing more I can do for you here and just walking out feeling a little bit empty and a bit kind of yeah almost like in slow motion thinking oh right so now we have to go to a private hospital which isn't something that I'm really au fait with at all like I've 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 never had private health care you know we we just we use the NHS it's what it's there for yeah it's a different world and so I was like yeah so I was like oh right so we need to do some research now on private hospitals and how much this is going to cost and it's really and, cheap yeah isn't it stud cheap it's yeah you know and you, and you can get two for one deals <laughs> um in fact yeah that, I, I should have got that shouldn't I? I, should, I should have gone for a two for one deal um yeah it, it felt it felt kind of quite intense mm. it was like oh right okay so mm-hmm. this is going to be this is going to be big you know and I think I guess in the back of my head before that I'd always thought as as you do you think oh it'll be fine things yeah. will work out yeah. you know I'll, I'll just take this Clomid and that'll sort me out and you you talk to one one friend who's like oh yeah Clomid worked for me and then you talk to another friend and they're like oh no like yeah no Clomid didn't work we had to we had to go for IVF and but in the back of my mind I'm thinking oh no it'll be fine it'll be I've done it once before my body knows what to do mm. I just need to kick start it a little bit so no and you're furiously googling everything oh yeah no it's just yeah it's mm. it's the best and worst thing possible isn't it for mm-hmm. anything medical because we have all this information yeah. at our fingertips but the temptation to go down that rabbit hole at 1am yeah. um it's just too too great it's, isn't it's it it's a bit much so, how was it going through IVF when you already had one child? Like the practicalities of it. Did you take her to the clinic, for example? No. Well, I mean, she was quite a bit older. So she was, yeah. uh, let me think how old she would have been. She probably would have been six or seven mm-hmm. when we were going through the first round. Six, I reckon. Um, no. So it was all, you know, she was at school um, and I just made sure all the appointments were um, during the day when she was at school. It was fine. Um, and obviously we didn't tell her I mean, she still doesn't know she's nine now nearly 10 and it's the kind of thing that if we were going through it now we may well have a, an open and honest conversation with yeah. her and say actually this is what we're doing mm-hmm. but at the time it wasn't appropriate and um you managed it was, to hide the injections and stuff I think that'd be one thing you'd yeah. be like mummy mummy what are you doing <laughs> yeah yeah, so I um I did my injections at seven fifteen every night, and that was a bit stressful because they were like, you've got to do it at the same time yeah, every yeah, night, yeah. and if you, you know, if, if it's a, if it's late or if it's early, and it's like, yeah, you'll fuck it up pressure. if you don't do it. Exactly, and so her bedtime was seven o'clock, so it was quite a nice routine. It was like tuck her up in bed, and then I would come downstairs, raid the fridge for my drugs, and you know, stand there at the kitchen worktop injecting myself. Um, and then go and kind of join my husband watching something on Netflix. It was, yeah, a weird little routine to be in for a few weeks. Mm. And so when you, your first round didn't work, um, was it hard kind of dealing with that in front of Grace and kind of trying to move past it? Um, it's like with anything, isn't it? When you've got kids, you always manage to hide stuff from them mm-hmm. or... You know, if you are upset and they they see you, you know, coming up with some kind of cover story, if, you, if you're if you're not prepared to tell them exactly why you're upset, um, yeah. In fact, I remember the the next day uh, after we after I found out, 
we went to Dreamland in Margate, which is this this kind of really old retro um, fun fair. And we'd had this plan for a few weeks. It was, um, I think it was the end of the summer holidays. And um, I remember just walking around feeling like a bit of an empty shell, thinking, I'm in this really fun place and I need to kind of pretend that I'm having a really great time. Um, but actually, I just kind of want to just cry a little bit. So it was kind of a bit surreal. It's quite um, quite an ironic place to be when you're feeling really sad. <laughs> yes, because it's so kind of OTT, yeah. like, you're having fun. <laughs> Can we talk about that? I mean, you had a multiple pregnancy. So did you have two, you had two embryos put back? Yes. So I had two embryos put back in both, on both rounds of IVF, okay. actually. Okay. What was your kind of decision making? What made you decide to have two put in? Just wanting to raise the odds, really. Okay. I was, I think, 13... Oh, hang on. I'm getting confused now. I was 38 when I had the first round, I think, and 39 when I had the second round. I'd just turned 39, I think. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's like when you see those graphs of your fertility mm-hmm. kind of dropping yeah. as you get older. Yeah. Um, it just kind of terrified me a bit. And I thought, well, we've gone through all of this and it's costing us an absolute fortune. So let's just whack two in mm. and we've got more chance of one sticking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, am I right in saying that the second time round there was some confusion when you had your scan? Do you want to well, tell yes. us about that? It's fact, madness. Fact, there's two types. There's two types of confusion. Let me tell you about them both, <laughs> and they're and they're linked. So the first the first thing that happened was um, so at the clinic that we had IVF at, we uh, were given a six week viability scan, which I think is probably quite normal. Mm-hmm. So we went back when I was six weeks pregnant, and the consultant who had done the IVF procedure, so you know, really experienced. Um, she scanned me and she said, there's the heartbeat, there's the sack, everything's looking fine, off you pop. So I was like, brilliant, reassured, everything's looking fine, everything's where it should be. Um, so that was at six weeks. And then at, I think 12 or 13 weeks, I then went to the regular NHS hospital for our kind of regular first scan that you have when you're 12 weeks pregnant. And uh, we walked into the room and the sonographer said, is this your first scan? And we said, no, 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 we've already had a scan. <laughs> kind of like a bit, a little bit kind of blasé about it. We've had a scan, don't worry, this is our second. This isn't our first rodeo kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, so we hopped on the bed and she said, oh, so you know it's just one then? And we said, yes, yes, we know it's just one. And she started scanning me and she kind of looked at me kind of very quickly and she said, sorry, you were told that it's just one. Yeah. And, and at that point, I looked at the screen and I could see two blobs, but I don't know about you, but when I look at, you know, these scans, it all just looks like stuff to me. Yeah. You know, I, ha- I have to have someone actually point out to me, that's the face, mm. that's the hands. Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, I can see that. There was two blobs. It didn't mean anything to me. And I said, sorry? She said, there's, there's two, there's two in there. Mm. <laughs> and my husband and I just dissolved into fits of giggles we just oh couldn't stop laughing what a surprise and, like nervous laughter oh my god it's the shock of the century um, surely it was it was a massive shock and it kind of more so because we'd been told at six weeks yeah. you know that it was just one and bearing in mind this consultant had 
put two embryos back. Yeah. And bearing in mind, you know, the rates of double pregnancies are higher with that kind of IVF procedure. You'd think she would have been looking for it, but, you know, no. So uh, so they carried on scanning me and then we waited for a little while in the waiting room and then I think it was a consultant who came from the twin team, had to wait for them to be free. They came to um, see me to see us and um she kind of took me through and showed me kind of printouts of data that again didn't mean anything to me mm-hmm. and she basically said so they're identical twins okay. they're sharing a they're sharing a placenta so that means that there is a high risk of this condition called twin to twin transfusion syndrome mm. and it's a very serious um condition that can affect all um twins that are sharing a placenta they can basically take blood from each other and it's very dangerous for both twins both the recipient and the donor twin and so she basically said so from week 16 we're going to ask you to come in every two weeks for a scan um and she was very much kind of like this is this is you know it's a high-risk pregnancy Mm. so you know we were obviously concerned and I've got a cousin who has twins and she had twin to twin transfusion syndrome and so I knew how serious it was um and so I went went for a scan every two weeks everything was fine there was never any indication that there was any issue with the blood levels or the placenta feeding each baby and um had the babies everything was fine touch words so far in terms of like having twins everything that I experienced from kind of pregnancy birth and everything has gone smoothly so I haven't had any big dramas no kind of medical issues um but after when they were a few months old my husband and I were like they really don't look identical and so now they're currently 18 months old and oh my goodness there is no way that these babies are identical twins there is no way they're like two different children they look totally different they in personality they're different in development they're different there is no way they're identical and reading up on it it is possible for two placentas to merge to fuse and for it to seem like it's one placenta yeah um and so that must have happened so right from 12 weeks we were told they're identical twins it's high risk you've got to have extra scans and no i mean you know the only way of us knowing for sure is getting a dna Mm -hmm. test at some point uh, which we might do Mm. but actually does it really matter because yeah they are who they are and you know funny yeah, oh, that's so funny. but what what about? I mean, you said that everything was fine medically and has been. But what about your mental health? How has that been? So much better. Okay. Um, I had that classic um, four day dip that you know, the baby blues that yeah. people talk about, and at that point, I was really concerned. I was like, "Oh no, here we go again." Um, but I think that due to a combination of it just being a different situation, like I was saying earlier, me being more in tune with my mental mm-hmm. health, me knowing how to look after myself more. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's it was this was eight years on from me having my first baby. So had you know, I'd learned so much more. And I think in society we talk about mental health more and people are sharing you know, you, you go onto Instagram and people are sharing tips every day on how to 
carve out time for yourself, how yeah. to prioritise mental health, all of that. So I think subliminally and actively I had worked on this. Um, and I, the only time that I had a bit of a dip was when I stopped breastfeeding. So I breastfed them for 10 months. And um, I think it was the dip in oxytocin levels. Um, and I've re- I read up on this and it does affect quite a lot of mums that when you stop breastfeeding, you can have a raw mental health dip. Interesting, Interesting yeah. So I, I, it, got, it got so bad that I went to the doctor and I was like, we need to do something about this because I'm absolutely miserable and I, I'm not, like I, I really feel depressed. And I, I, I had some CBT sessions um, and um, she put me on the, like a certain type of pill that, that would hopefully help. Um, and it after, I don't know if it was that or if it was just because my hormone levels were leveling out anyway, yeah. but after maybe a month or six weeks, I just felt a lot better and I've, I have felt fine Thank touch God, wood. Um, so, I mean, something that people who struggle with their second um, baby often worry about is the age gap between the children they already have and then the, the the children that might come in the future is that something you were worried about and if so how has that kind of played out I was so worried about it it was a real source of anxiety for me as kind of each year kind of went so every I think it was almost like any every birthday that my daughter had I felt like oh this is another year between her and any potential siblings mm. and I really worried about it and um and I also got really kind of funny about seeing people on social media talking about sibling bonds and, you know, like, oh, you know, like the, the bond between my, my two daughters, it's so fierce and nothing can break it. And it's just so special to see it develop. And I remember feeling like, uh, mm, sh- like, shut up. I fought like cat and dog with my brother. Like sibling siblings don't automatically have this amazing, special you know, worshipable bond, you know. But it was definitely a thing because I felt like I couldn't give my daughter a sibling. I really, it was like a reaction to that. Um, so I really worried about it and and I needn't have because actually it has, it hasn't been an issue. So she was eight when they were born and she just turned eight and she was old enough to be able to help so she could hold them you know she could cuddle them which with you know when you've got younger kids you can't necessarily trust them to be holding a newborn baby um she could like run off and grab nappies for me and especially when you if you've got two babies that you need to be changing nappies and you know you're kind of trying to juggle lots of things yeah exactly um and she, and now that they are eighteen months old, they just absolutely worship her. Aww. And you know, they they see her come in the room, and they're like kind of crawling over Aww. and kind of what. And, and she loves it too. Like she genuinely loves it. So she comes, you know, she comes into the room that they're playing in, and she she uses it sometimes to kind of avoid doing. Like at the moment, obviously, she's doing a lot of schoolwork at home, and it's like, right, come on, it's time to go off and do your maths work. And she's like, no, 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 I want to, I want to play with my sisters. I want to play with my sisters. <laughs> But no, it's really lovely to see, and I'll, I'm all I'll be really interested to see how things develop. And I quite often talk to my elders about this, so I'll say things like to her, like, um, oh, you know, when when they're your age, 
you'll be 17 and so they'll probably be stealing your makeup imagine if you had a 17 year old sister (laughs) you'd be like raiding her makeup Mm. and going into her wardrobe and stealing things so just warning you that's probably going to happen when you know when you're (laughs) that age but it's just really lovely to kind of think ahead and to be thinking about how that age gap's going to manifest itself as they get older well Alison it's been so lovely having you on um just one last question before we go What's your advice to other women who are going through secondary infertility? Oh, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> I don't know what advice I would give give someone. Perhaps, and it's just one of those things where it's it feels really kind of crass to say stay positive because you can be as positive as you like and it won't make any difference whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I would say, okay, I would say my advice is probably not to keep it to yourself because I think with all kinds of infertility the temptation can be to you know oh you know shroud it in secrecy and Mm. I don't really feel comfortable talking to people about it Mm -hmm. and actually telling your mates about it so I've got a really good group of like school mum friends and right from the start they knew that we were doing IVF and Mm -hmm. it meant that they were around to you know, meet me for coffee or take my eldest off for a play date if I was having a hard day. And it just having that support, I think, because, you know, yeah. it's all very well and good having that support from like your family. Yeah. But having it from friends as well, I think, makes a big difference. Yeah, definitely. People can be a bit more sensitive to you. Especially when if you're injecting yourself with hormones and you're feeling a bit weepy and a bit emotional or, you know, you're at the school gates and you know you're feeling a bit bad tempered about something people people can just be a bit kinder to you and look after you a little bit yeah brilliant well thank you so Mm -hmm. much for for joining us yes remotely thank you so much for having me it's been so lovely to chat now it's time for we're talking about coconut water coconut water which by the way, I used to hate because I used to thought it. I used to think it tasted like sperm, and I don't know why I thought because that. Because it has that kind of almost that consistency. It's that like it's viscousy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, ra- like to be honest, mate, I just think it's absolutely rank. I just think it's yeah. disgusting. I've done a one eighty on it. I kind of find it quite refreshing now, which is weird. Oh, well, um, so basically, there's this rumor flying around that it somehow cures or prevents ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome which is what you get Mm -hmm. if you overstimulate your ovaries when you're doing Mm -hmm. the stim cycle of IVF Mm -hmm. yeah I think it's the electrolytes it's full of kind of good electrolytes apparently Um, so does it actually help though that's the question that is a question so we asked professor Tim about that here's what he said so OHSS um, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome is the main side effect of IVF that um, can affect a woman's health and it's the one it's the one thing in particular that all clinics watch very closely for the other main complication is multiple birth but obviously we can control that by how many embryos we put back OHSS really only comes on with ovarian stimulation it, it would be absolutely rare as hen's teeth in terms of um, happening outside of ovarian stimulation it's thought to be severe in up to one percent of all cases and if it's severe you can end up in hospital for a few days feeling pretty miserable and uncomfortable Uh, your your tummy can bloat you can have fluid in your abdomen sometimes that fluid needs to be uh, tapped off with with a drain OHSS tends to come on after the egg collection so before the egg collection your clinics are looking out for it but it actually is triggered by the late night trigger 
So the only way of actually completely avoiding the risk of OHSS is to cancel the IVF cycle before the egg collection. As soon as that late night trigger has been given, then you can actually still get um, what's called early OHSS. What makes OHSS really bad is if we put an embryo back, the embryo implants, and then it starts to release uh, pregnancy hormones, HCG. You can then get late OHSS. So the women who end up in hospital with OHSS very often are those that um, had high numbers of eggs collected, high hormones, and had an embryo transfer, and have had an implantation. So the ways that we try and reduce the risk of OHSS are to check women very carefully before starting treatment for their ovarian reserve, so looking at follicle numbers, AMH, etc. We look at the woman's age, her body mass index, and, any pre and the outcomes of any previous treatments before, and then we will use a long or short protocol, alter the drug dose and um, stimulation dose, and maybe use different types of stimulation as well. And then during treatment, monitor very carefully to look to see, do we need to, for instance, reduce the drug dose? Do we need to give a different type of late night trigger? Do we need to talk about freezing all of the embryos, so avoiding a fresh transfer for the reasons that I've just said? So different things that we can do before and during the actual treatment cycle. Now, in terms of whether supplements such as coconut water would reduce the risk of OHSS, um, as for many of these things, I'm not actually aware of any evidence at all of benefit for that. Certainly, if women are getting symptoms of OHSS, so getting bloating, uh, breast tenderness, um, are feeling um, just unwell, nauseous, diarrhea, vomiting, then absolutely the, one of the really important things to do is to keep well hydrated. So you should be drinking at least two or three litres a day of fluid. And, and that's just to keep yourself hydrated because what can happen is the fluid can actually pass from the blood vessels into the abdomen and you get fluid sitting in the pelvis and the abdomen. You can get dehydrated. That can then make you feel um, unwell and often it's the level of dehydration which then means women end up in hospital. So keeping hydrated is very important. As I said, drinking two or three litres a day minimum of um, fluid and so some types of fluid, perhaps people will feel better with drinking fluid with perhaps more protein in. And I guess if, you know, drinking lots of um, coconut water makes you feel better compared to normal water, then that's absolutely fine. But the main thing is hydration. That's a wrap, guys. That's your chicken wrap. Don't forget to email us your sexy experiences. Indeed, if you want, if you want. Yeah, you don't have to. Absolutely no need. No, you don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Next week, we are really excited because we are speaking to the one, the only, Sophia Money Coots. Oh, yeah. And oh, what are we talking yeah. to Sophia about? Well, we it's funny because we started talking about getting her on ages and ages ago. And at that point, we we were like, let's talk about egg freezing because she's been writing about it a lot. She's a journalist, if you haven't heard of her, which I'm pretty sure you have heard of her. She's a journalist um, who has written a load of like columns and features for the Times about egg freezing and the process and you know having thinking about doing it and that kind of thing. But by the time we actually spoke to her, she'd been in lockdown for a few weeks and she was like, maybe I just get pregnant. <laughs> like lockdown's made her broody, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now she's kind of thinking, maybe I want to go it alone. Yeah. So it was quite a fun conversation to have, like while she's in a kind of period of decision. Indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Uh, this is a good one. Listen in next week. 
see you guys later Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.